Praise the Lord. Amen. Open your Bible to the book of Psalms tonight, or today, Psalms 91. Very familiar passage in the Word of God. We have preached from it before, but I want to God to be honored today. Psalms 91. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God if you're able to do so. If you're not, just follow along with us while you're sitting there. Song book of the Bible, Psalms. There's 150 of them written by various authors, mostly by David and uh, Asaph and other folks who were inspired of God to pen these song books or this song book. There's 150 songs in the song book. Psalms is a song book. Psalms 90 was written by Moses himself, according to notes in my study Bible, and called the man of God, Moses, the man of God. Now, you may have written 91. It doesn't say who wrote it. So we'll just leave that alone. It's not a matter. It doesn't matter. I can just say God wrote it. God gave it the words to whoever penned it down. But it was called the soldier's psalm. It was placed many times over the years in soldiers' pockets as they went out to war. And there's been miraculous stories told by just carrying the psalms in their pocket. I'm not here to say what God will do, won't do, by carrying Psalms 91. But it is called the Soldier's soldier's Psalm. And I think I'll just read all 16 verses if that's all right with you. If it's not all right with you, I'm going to do it anyhow. (laughs) Psalms 91... And then we'll see what God has for us today. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust him. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the error that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, and the lion, young lion, and the dragon shall thou trample under feet, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver thee. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. You read that, maybe seated. You read that entire chapter before we pray. You say, preacher, that doesn't happen to me all the time. 
It's not a credit card or a card to cover all your problems. It is a divine relationship with God that makes a difference, that you accept whatever comes your way. But there are some times God does the unusual for his children. I love my children. I trust you love yours. I love your grandchildren. I love my grandchildren more than I love my children. But I love them, and uh, it's always a joy to try to be around them and enjoy fellowship. And I realize the trials and troubles that come to our family, even mine and yours and everybody in this room. And sometimes we wonder, what in the world is God up to in my life? There's some things He permits to happen in our life that we do not always understand. But you can take it to the bank. God is concerned. God cares. God is mindful of our life. We live in a weary land. The Bible says, Be not weary in well-doing, for we will reap in due season if we faint not. And all of us go through those trials and heartaches, many deserts, stormy places in life, just dry and sometimes wondering, will it pass? I'm glad for that verse of Scripture somebody said in the Bible, and it came to pass, and it came to pass. Wouldn't it be good to some things, I'd be glad when this is over. Somebody said it just a while ago outside. It'd be great if Jesus come today and we get out of this old world and go home to heaven. Christians are longing for that more than they used to. They're thinking more about heaven than they used to think about heaven. And so I want to talk to you about the secret place of the sacred place. I want you to get the title of nothing else. The secret place of the sacred place. Because the secret place can become a sacred place and that sacred place can be in secret and usually will will be in your Christian life. We live in a weary land long for satisfaction. Sometimes it don't always come to us the way we think it should. We have many fears and anxieties. There's a lot of phobias that folks have. Uh, we had a member of our church for years who would not go across a railroad track. As a matter of fact, if you came to a railroad track and she was in the car, she would almost panic. You'd have to turn some other way to avoid the railroad track. Uh, there's some folks who are afraid of close places, a phobia that they're going to panic. Uh, I've taken enough MRIs to write a book in the last year or so, at least I've done it several times, and there's always apprehension. They're not, they're not as bad as they used to be, but boy, you get in there and your, your, your head's touching and your body's cramped, and for 30, 40 minutes they're going to have you in that machine. Uh, it's a really exciting time in your life. And sometimes going into surgery, uh, every 10 weeks I have to do endoscopic on my esophagus. And uh, I enjoy the sleep when the time comes. But it's just the anxiety when they stick that thing in your mouth and say, open your mouth wide. And you open your mouth wide and they stick that thing in your, in your mouth. Goodbye. No, they don't say goodbye. I say, see you after a while. Goodbye with me and I'm not coming back. But uh, there's always a little apprehension there. The doctor, he says to me, he says, well, preacher, it's time to rumble. He can call it what he wants to, but I have a little fear, a little anxiety when I do things like that. And a lot of times we have fears and anxieties because we've never done it before. And uh, when we come down the dice, on the best Christian world may have some apprehension. Somebody said, why do you have apprehension? Don't you know where you're going? Yeah, but I've never done this before. Sort of like giving a speech or something in school. Break out the cold sweat because you had never done it before. And sometimes fears grip the best of us. I don't care who you are. But David learned how to go through the valley. I will fear no evil. But he did that because the secret place became sacred to him. 
to abide under the presence of my Almighty God under His wings. And so you may have some fears today in closed places, public speaking, and just fear of fear. Uh, how many of you are, are, you get afraid if you have to speak publicly? Would you raise your hand real high? God bless you. God bless you. How many can do it pretty good without being scared? Some of you have just big mouths. You can jump up anytime. You probably can speak anytime, any place, anywhere. But we're all different. And somebody, the number one fear of focus getting up before people and speaking publicly. And it is sometimes very difficult in those early days of our lives, especially even as a preacher. There's, there's unhealthy fears and there's healthy fears. Fear means to reverence God in one way. And on the other side, there's fears that sometimes grip us and cause us great problems. Unhealthy fears from which we sometimes want deliverance. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 8, verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but ye receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I wrote the word Abba down on my notes. I looked it up again in the concordance of the dictionary to see what it means. Intimate relationship. What it means is I call him Father. Abba means Father or Dear One or, for modern vernacular, Daddy. Now, when you come to the place in your life and you're in the secret place and you can say, Daddy, I need you. You can crawl upon the lap of God spiritually and call him Daddy, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Not only Father, I'm grateful to God he's my Heavenly Father. My Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Abba, Father. I'm going through a weary time of my life, Father. I'm going through some troubles and trials in our life, and our family, going through trials, through circumstances that I'm encountering in my daily walk. May I just say, Daddy, if you've ever cared about me, would you care about me now? And don't get surprised because he does care about you regardless, no matter what the situation is. And he doesn't mind you calling him Father. Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The only time in the ministry of Jesus Christ in 33 and a half years of living, did he ever call the Father God? He always called him Father. My Father, I yield myself to you. Father, not my will, but thine be done. But on the cross of Calvary, when he took the sins of the world, yours and mine, and drank them into his own body, the cup of iniquity is called, took your sins and my sins, and was nailing them to the cross of Calvary, he cried in that one of the occasions of the cries from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Somebody says, he doesn't know how I feel. He knows exactly how you feel. He knows exactly how it would be if you died and even went to hell. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He didn't say, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? Because many believe and I believe that on the cross of Calvary, God the Father turned his back on his own son. Because the Bible says he cannot look with pleasure upon iniquity. And so when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, he had your sins. Shane, he had every sin you ever committed. And put in his body. Rick, he put them in his body. Shane, he died for you and took your sins and put them in his own body to save us from our sins because somebody had to pay the sin debt. 
He took my sins and nailed them to the cross. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He watched it while the snow. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And dipping his very life in the regions of the damned, he was suffering for all humanity and suffering the pain and the agony that every sinner will experience if they die lost. They'll die in separation from the Father. They'll die in separation from God Himself, the Almighty God. They will completely be separated from Him. If there's no fire in hell, I believe there is. If there's nothing else except separation from God, that'll make it hell enough. And you'll cry throughout the regions of eternity forever and ever, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And right now He wants you to come in the sacred place. He wants you to come in the secret place of the Most High. It's four places where you have an internal intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father, Abba Father, with He who is called Daddy in a personal. Seems almost disrespectful to say Daddy, talking to God the Father, because He wants His name to be honored. He said, honor the Lord thy God. He wants us to know that He is who He says He is. And the Bible says the whole duty of man is to fear God or reverence God and keep His commandments. That's the whole duty of man. And yet coming down to a serious time in your life when you have a daily walk with God and spend some time with Him, you can make a place a secret place. Nobody has to know it necessarily. And it would be good if you had a place where nobody else goes except you at a particular time. Sort of hide yourself in the bosom of God. I found myself years ago, and I, and sometimes I'm, I'm so sorry I don't have that kind of life sometimes like I ought to have internally. But I used to get down to pray, and I would say, Father, this is James. just want to talk to you a few minutes. You know what I'd hear in my soul? Not that he spoke to me audibly, because he did not. But in my soul, he'd say, James, I've been waiting on you. I've been waiting on you. He said, I want you to come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy. He didn't tell me I had to back up. He told me to come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy. And that place can become a secret place than just between me and God. It takes, pushes the outside world out for a while. It takes the pressures of life outside of the frame of your body. They're still there, but you're not talking about them. You're talking about Abba Father. You're talking to the Heavenly Father and what a tremendous thought it is to realize that when we can come, we can call Him Abba Father and He wants to talk to us. I get amazed at this. I wish I had more abilities. I wish I could preach stronger. I wish I could preach more forceful. But I get amazed at even thinking that I, an old country boy, saved at the age of nine, preached for all these many years, has the right and the privilege to go into the secret place with myself and God. And he says, when you enter into the closet, make it a secret closet. A place where you can go and abide in the presence of God, that's your kind of glory. It's called the Old Testament and the tabernacle when they constructed it under the directions of God. And the mercy seat was behind the veil that was torn down later when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. But that tabernacle was built to recognize the presence of God. And the slab of gold that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was about three before 
in dimension, maybe a little, little more, a little less, depending on how you measure in those days. And then it was overrun and overslabbed with a pure gold. And then there was two angels, cherubims, with their wings outstretched. And this is where God would come down and meet with the high priest once a year. The high priest would go behind that holy veil. He'd go into the outer court and he'd go to the holy place. And then that third chamber was called the Holy of Holies. And nobody could go in the Holy of Holies except the high priest. And he can only go once a year to represent people before God. And they made it so when he went behind that veil, they put a bale and a pomegranate fruit around the hem of his garment. And he went in to offer the blood on the mercy seat, typifying when the day the Lord Jesus Christ would go into the mercy seat of heaven and take the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross and offer for the sins and the atonement of the world. And he'd walk behind the holy holies, go behind the veil. And he'd drop that blood and it became what was called the Shekinah glory, where the glory of God would appear and God would meet with man at the altar, what the secret place is for us today because of Calvary, because of an empty tomb, because now I have an access. I am a priest. You are a priest. The Bible says we are. And we have the privilege to go to the mercy seat and with the blood of Jesus Christ being atoned for us, we plead the blood. And because of that, I have a right today to go boldly before the throne of grace that I may obtain mercy in the hour of need. And I'm glad in that secret place, it can become a sacred place. You can enjoy the presence of God. You know why you need that? For you're going to face some weary times. You're going to face some problems and heartaches in life that you wonder what's the answer. How can I find answers? How can I find cure to my ills and my problems? How can I have victory in my life in the midst of trouble and trials and heartaches? You get to know Jesus Christ becomes more precious to you. So when you start reading Psalms 91, you're abiding. You're abiding in His presence. And the more you abide in His presence, the more I abide in His presence. It's not that I don't fear again, because all of us go through the ups and downs of life. It is that I have access to help my help. It cometh from the Lord. My help cometh from Thee. And how many times many of us have been there. I need verses like the one I just read in Romans 8.15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage. And the Bible says uh, in Psalms 34, I sought the Lord and He heard me. And He delivered me from all my fears. That's what the Bible says. The more you have faith, the less you have fear. And the faith comes by believing God. The more you believe God, the more you less you'll fear in life. We're always going to have some measure of fear because we're in this world. We're mortal. We're not immortal. We're not perfect like Jesus was. But the fact is, He says, you pray, I can deliver you from the fears of life. And boy, as we face what we face in the world with a mixed up society, with politicians you can't trust, with immorality spread everywhere, with iniquity abounding more and more, and the love of many waxing coal, just want to get along with God for a while. Lord, it's getting worse and worse in the world. The old timers will say it's getting worse and worse. And it's getting worse in the world. It's turning into a hodgepodge of just about everything that's bad. And men have forgotten God, left God, live their own life like they want to. And here we are, living Lord, trying to survive and things attack, getting attacked from everywhere. My wife broke down the other day and cried. She said, it's a terrible world. 
said, what's coming upon the world? She says, I'm so afraid. But what's going to happen? And I agree with her. And we sort of wept together for a little bit there a while, just thinking about how bad it is. Christians ought to care about what's going on. It's not that we go into a recluse, into a place of hiding, say we're going, to, we're going to just stay right here and hide for the rest of the time. God wants us to be out there on the battlefield. But to have the battlefield mentality, you've got to have faith. And if you're going to have faith, you've got to overcome your fears. You've got to face the devil and the cohorts of hell. And I'm going to tell you right now, the devil's after you. He wants to run, he wants to wreck, he wants to destroy your very life. He is your enemy, not your friend. He's deceiving and cunning and dirty and terrible and abominable and do everything anywhere he can to wreck you, ruin you, tear your life up and shred it to pieces, point his finger at the face of God and say, look what I did. Look what they did. They didn't trust you. They trusted me. But blessed be God, you can have a secret place and a sacred place that you say with the grace of God, I'll defeat the devil. I plead the blood of Christ and God can help me through the battles of life and by God's grace to God be the the glory, great things he had done in my life. He'll help you all the way through just abiding in the presence, the experience of the secret place, this place, when life starts to cave in, pressures mount, problems come. Where do I go? Where is this place? We're invited to a secret place, a closet I said a moment ago. Someone said, I think it was Ari Tory or A.W. Tozer, the secret to praying is praying in secret. We are what we are in the secret place, no more and no less. If you want to know what you really are, get along with God. And He's not there to rebuke you, not there to condemn you. He's there to help you. And then that help may be a rebuke. But he's not there to condemn you. He says, he that cometh in me, you don't have to be, you're not condemned, you're condemned already. You don't have to come to me in my presence afraid. Now, my daddy back in West Virginia was a disciplinarian. He, um, he used a belt. My mama used a switch. If I had a dreader who I want to whip me, it would be my mother. She would tell me to go get a peach limb. We had peach trees and she wanted me to get a peach peach limb to bring it. I'm going to be executed by my same thing that I had, had to go get. Execution day was coming. She said, son, do you understand? You disobeyed. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, give me the peach limb. The peach, sort of a skinny one. I learned a long time ago, when you go out to get a peach limb, get the whole tree. Those other ones really sting. Boy, they can cut you good. And then we start what we call the proverbial dance. I'm going around holding them. She's holding me like this, and I'm going around like this. And she's going, <laughs> Boy, it would sting. And she said, don't you do it again. Yes, ma'am. When Daddy spanked, we went to the bedroom. Sort of a judgment quarters. That's going before the court of law. He says, son, do you know what you did? Yes, sir. You know that means a spanking in our house? I said, yes, sir. He put me across the bed and pulled out a belt. And he took that belt and sort of doubled it like an old razor strap, you know, how the old timers used to. And he, he popped me several times with that belt. 
Oh, give me a peach tree. <laughs> I thought the wrath of God was falling on me. I was going to die. Now, he didn't kill me. I'm still here. I thought I was on my way, but I still survived. I guess he knew much how much pressure to apply to my life. And sometimes what God does, he applies the pressure to us because we haven't been living as we should. Boy, I've got to say it's me, oh Lord, stand in need of prayer. And sometimes you go through the trials and the troubles of life and you wonder how much more can I take? And Psalms 13 comes to play. Lord, have you forgotten me? Have you forsaken me? It's not that he has forsaken us. We oftentimes have forsaken him. We've got to be reminded, beware, lest we forget God, come back into his presence. Come back in the secret place. You need some confessing of your sin when you're there. You can say thanks to God you wouldn't say anywhere else. He knows it before you say it. He just wants you to say it. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. If we confess, that means agree with God our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. Sometimes you need to tell God you're a dirty old spanking, stinking sinner. Well, preacher, I'm not too bad. Yeah, you are. Well, I, I can't tell God I'm a terrible sinner because I'm not. Were it not the grace of God, you'd be burning in hell right now. Amen. This old body of ours, this old fleshly body of ours wants to be fulfilled. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eye always wants to be satisfied. That's the old fleshly part of us. God, I'm so sorry. I broke your heart. And the more that you find yourself in relationship with God intimately and have a father, you'll find you want to sin less. Christians are not sinless, but they sin less. I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not the boy I used to be. I'm glad for the grace of God that's been made available in my own life, and so can you, that I can live a Christian life. And when you sin, listen to me very carefully, and you're a child of the living God, and you sin, it bothers you. Well, don't bother me, preacher. I can just keep on doing it. Something's wrong. Because the Holy Ghost of God dwells in the inside of your body. And when you sin and I sin, there is that convicting spirit that says you ought not do that. that. It begins to eat at you. That guilt becomes something, reality. Aren't you glad you confess your sins and He wants us to forsake our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? He wants to deliver us from that guilt. He wants to deliver us from that sin we've committed. But sometimes it all takes place in the secret place, you know, sometimes it's just going day by day and mentally you develop the secret place. But I'm talking about a secret place where you get along with God. That secret place becomes sacred. Faith is deepened and developed in the life. You grow in depths in your prayer life. We may not be all we ought to be, but we ought to be on the road to being all we ought to be. We ought to be better people today than we were yesterday. We ought to be Christian, Christ-like. Or say, by the grace of God, I want to be better. Father, help me to be what I ought to be. The place is when the world starts turning us upside down. Pressures mount so much. Tears come to rise. We can't figure it out. I just say, quit trying to figure it out. God, just trust Him. I don't understand God. I'm not here to understand Him completely. I'm here just to love Him. I told the family the other night when we was old Miss Angel's had prayer on the porch before we left, and I said, "You don't looking for explanations when Chuck's dead. Looking for promises. Yeah. Promises. 
Because there's just things I can't figure out and things you can't figure out. And for the love of me, how in the world, why in the world would it happen like this or this happen like this? God's always got a divine purpose that we don't see. And some things we'll never understand until we get to heaven. And when we get to heaven, we'll not understand them then. They're settled and God takes care of it. I just want to trust Him day by day. And when I can't figure out God, I just understand i got a faith God. i just got to faith Him. I'm going to trust Him. He knows best for my life and best for your life. Well, the amount of trust you have in the difficulties is a direct proportion to the time you spend in secret with God. See, you enter into the closet and then you come out of the closet a better person if you've entered in the secret place of the Most High God. And because of that, that secret place should become a sacred place. And you would love to be alone with God at times. It's a busy world. And sometimes we're so busy we don't have time to do the priority things. I'm not here to harp on prayer life. I'm here to say it is breath to the human soul Amen. when you pray. Amen. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Word of God is the very substance of our life to feed the hungry soul. Prayer is the breath of God. If you don't eat, after a while you'll die spiritually. If you don't breathe, after a while you'll cease to, you'll cease to breathe. You can die. So you've got to have both are essential for Christian growth and Christian development is to have the, the bread and the breath of God through prayer, through Bible study, through reading the Word of God until our lives become better and better. I've not arrived at my destination yet. I'm still in need. It's me, O oh Lord, saying I need a prayer in every day of my life and every day of your life. When you come before God, it's you in need. Our world's in need, our family's in need, and pressures around us are mounting. We need the Lord, and I need the Lord. I need the Lord. You need the Lord. Higher ground we're climbing every day. May God help us to continue to climb spiritual ground and make territory for the Lord to our life becomes better and better. Or gooder and gooder, or sweeter and sweeter as the journey goes by because we had time in the secret place. The amount of time that we have in the closet helps us to trust the Lord in the difficulties. No time, no trust. Little time, little trust. Some time, some trust. Much time, much trust. The reason why we don't have victory in our life like we should, we don't spend enough time alone with God. I'm not saying that you can't do it all day long, pray without ceasing. You ought to be in the spirit of prayer. You ought to be able to pray in a moment's notice. And you can, well, you can, you can pray and drive. You better be careful. You, don't, you might want to pull up the side of the road if you pray too much and keep your eyes closed. But you can pray while you walk. You can pray while you're working. You can pray a lot of time. On the inside, you can commune with God. But then there's that time you just need to pull, up, pull off the brakes, pull up the brakes, get off the accelerator, and get over here alone with God and spend some time with Him. They can walk in the dark, walk in the night, walk in the day, talk to Him anytime you want to. But there are just some special times when the secret place becomes a sacred place. I want to meet the Lord there. There ought to be some sacred places in your life, in my life. The experience of the secret place is important. Not there to instruct God. I'm not there to impress God. Well, I go before the Lord. I'm really impressing the Lord. You can't impress Him. 
You're not there to try to impress him. You're not there to try to inform him of what needs to be done. You're not there to inform him what the instructions are. The reason why you go in before the Lord in the secret place is to interact with him. And when you interact with him, you're doing something, the union that takes place with the communion. The more you commune with the Lord in spirit and truth, the more union you have with him, the tighter you are. You come into the presence of God, the circumstances are around us. How am I supposed to be? He said, be content in whatsoever state you find yourself. That's not easy. It's not easy at all. Well, how in the world can I find peace in the midst of trouble? He's the peace giver. And he says, I'll give you the peace of God, which is that which comes in daily living. Peace with God is I'm no longer fear of going to hell. I've been saved by the grace of God. I have peace with the Creator. I have peace with my Master. I have peace with Him. And he talks about the peace of God. That's the one that provides daily provision for us to be a victorious Christian. And the peace of God, and I need that often. I'm sure you do too. Take off your shoes, Moses. You're on holy ground. And every Christian ought to have some holy ground somewhere along the way. Dr. Jack Kyles used to go into a motel room and take off his shoes. And his story he told before. And he said, there wasn't nobody there except me and God. I took off my shoes and jumped up on the bed. And he said, then I was doing this. Saying, praise the Lord. And I started jumping up and down on the bed. He said, that place was more holier than anywhere I've been all day long. Just jumping up the top of a bed. Now, you may never jump on a bed, but it wouldn't be do us any harm if we went to a bedroom, maybe turned off a light and got on our face before God and just cried a little bit. And then maybe a victory come in your soul when you may just want to praise the Lord on a bed. You might want to jump up and down. Moses, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And Moses took his shoes off when the burning bush occasion. Sometimes we've got to get along with God to where that place becomes more and more sacred. Because it's under the shadow of the Almighty, those wings of the cherubims are about to touch. and They're over the slab of gold, which speaks of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and speaks of the glory of God, and speaks of the purity of the Lord. That pure gold slab. The cherubims with their wings outstretched. And right in the middle, when the blood's dropped, you meet the Savior and God and man meet in the Shekinah glories there. I simply submit to you today that mercy seat is right between the wings and the Shekinah glory is the glory of God. What a joy it is to be privileged to enter into the sacred place of the Most High. Under His wings I'm safely abiding. Though the night deepens and tempests are wild, Still I can trust Him. I know He will keep me. He has redeemed me and I am His child. Under His wings, under His wings, who from His love can sever, under His wings my soul shall abide, safely abide forever. Under His wings, what a refuge of sorrow. How many heart earnings, yearnings, earnings turn to rest, often when earth has no balm for my healing. There I find comfort and there I am blessed. Under his wings, oh, what precious enjoyment. There will I hide till life's trials are over. Sheltered, protected. No evil can harm me. Resting in Jesus, I'm safe evermore.
the presence of the Lord. What a place of peace and security. The secret place becomes a sacred place. The secret place becomes a holy place. The secret place is a time just between me and God. There's sometimes we, we Christians need to get along with God and just have a man to God talk. There's sometimes we get so full of ourselves that we think we can handle life. We're, we're fools in a lot of areas, but you can't handle it. Some words won't catch up with you. Somewhere the pressures and problems of life are going to be so insurmountable that you can't make it. And you wonder, how long can we stand? How long can we keep doing it? How long can we face these problems? How long can I keep going? How long, how long, how long? As long as God wants you to be in the pressure place, He knows how much it's going to take. And the, the barometer of pressure, He knows exactly how much you can take. Somebody says, Preacher, I can't take anymore. You'll take exactly what God allows you to if, you want to, if He wants you to. There's some place He knows you can't take as much as somebody else. There is no temptation. And I'm through. There is no temptation taking you. So that means all of us have temptation and trials, right? There is no temptation taking you but such God, but such as, there is no temptation but such a common man. So it's the same temptation everybody else faces. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. There is no temptation taking you but such which is common to man. But God, who is faithful, will not have you to be tempted or tested or tried above that which you are able. You say, preacher, it don't work that way. Yes, it does. You're trying to figure it out, aren't you? You're trying to wonder when it's going to stop. God, when you decide that I've had enough, Job went through a lot of trials and tribulation. I recommend reading Job pretty often because here's a man who suffered like no other man ever suffered, humanly speaking, outside of Jesus Christ. Job got despaired. Job wondered if he could make it. Job went through the mental, emotional, financial, physical suffering. I close. Ten children died. But they didn't die until he lost his oxen, his cattle, his camels. We're the richest man in the world at that day. A man who loved God issued evil and walked with God. God began to let the enemy come in because the devil was trying to destroy God and he wanted to have a contest. <coughs> and God permitted it. I can't explain that. But he permitted the devil to touch Job's life in any way he wanted to except kill him. And the devil had a heyday. He took away all of his possessions. His 401Ks. His savings account. His checking account. His, his building enterprise. His stocks and bonds. Took it all the way. That's enough right there to get you upset. What in the world, Lord, have you allowed that to happen? He took it all. Then he worked on a family who's meeting together. And as they met together, death invaded the ranks. And the messenger came to Job and told him, said, I got some bad news. Could it be any worse? Your children have been killed. 
Ten children died on occasion. And Job's heart was crushed. His eyes fell downward. His mind went lower. And said, oh God. And his wife said, do you fear God, Job? Why don't we just curse God and die? Then the wife turns on him. I could justify that. Especially with ten kids lost. No doubt it was human, human, humanity in the making. Job won't just curse God. Maybe she's in frustration. Oh God, why don't you won't just curse God and die? Let's get out of this mess. He probably contemplated suicide. How much more can I bear? How much more can I take? And the Bible says, in all this, Job did not sin against God. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth in the last day. He shall stand upon the earth. I know. I know who I'm talking to. I know the Lord's going to help me. And Job was afflicted by bulls and, and scabs and for a long time. They called it elephantitis disease. And the devil afflicted him with sores. He scraped himself with the potsherd, the clay pots, to try to get some relief to scrape his body. Now, folks, I testify and I'm through. I've not been there. I've not been there. Why in the world did God put Job in the Bible, the oldest book in the Bible? Why did He put Job in the Bible? And those 42 chapters, I think it is. Why did He give all the conflict with His friends and His family and He lose His family? Job was just simply going through the trials of His life so He would help us in our trials of life. And he had to find out his consolation even though Job questioned God a time or two. Wasn't sure what was going on trying to figure it out. The end of the story is that he believed God and took God at His Word. If I lose it all, I'm going to trust Him. And I'm grateful for the end of the story, aren't you? God restored unto him more than he had to start with. He also gave him more kids. Ten more kids. His wife had a wonderful time. She only lost 10, now she got 10 more. She had 20 kids altogether. Gave back everything that he lost and doubled it, multiplied it. And God will take care of us Amen. if we'll just serve him. May God help us today. Let's stand together.